Welcome to The Emily Osmond Show. I'm your host, Emily Osmond, an online marketing educator, leader of an incredible global community of female entrepreneurs and a content creator based in Melbourne, Australia. This show is designed to bring you practical strategies and candid real stories of entrepreneurs to help you make marketing, mindset and money your superpowers. Let's get into the show. Pauline Nguyen's story is that of survival first. Escaping war-torn Vietnam as a toddler, Pauline eventually made it to Australian shores after a year in a Thai refugee camp. She went on to suffer tremendous physical and emotional abuse until she was a young woman. It's this adversity that Pauline now refers to as her training to have since become one of Australia's most sought-after development coaches, a leading entrepreneur, an award-winning author, and an international keynote speaker. She is also the co-founder of the world's most awarded Vietnamese restaurant, Red Lantern. Described by Huffington Post as the most grounded spiritual entrepreneur on the planet, I caught up with Pauline to discuss her latest book, The Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur, The Seven Secrets to Becoming Fearless, Stress-Free and Unshakable in Business and in Life. We discussed the unconventional strategies that saw her restaurant survive the global financial crisis which can teach us a lot right now. How Pauline is helping her clients' businesses and her own navigate COVID-19, what being a spiritual entrepreneur actually means and why it's not what we think, plus why you should be making money, why work-life balance is BS, and what she wishes she could go back in time and tell herself as a seven-year-old working in her parents' businesses. And this bit made us both tear up. You'll find Pauline's books online or in bookstores. And to find out more about working with her, go over to paulinewen.com.au. I learned a lot from this conversation and I'm sure that you will too. Be sure to screenshot while you're listening and tag me on Instagram. I'd love to see. I'm at Emily Osmond. Now let's bring on Pauline Nguyen. Well, thank you so much, Pauline, for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It is my joy. So I love to start off with asking my guests because I feel as though it gives just a little insight into who they are as a person. But if you're listening to anything, reading anything or watching anything at the minute. I don't watch a lot of anything. (laughs) I I read voraciously and I always have a few things on the go that is always injecting into my ecosystem. I'm currently teaching a course on authentic influence, uh, the science of influence or the art and science of influence and persuasion. So of course I'm going the other way and reading a book from my very good friend and confidant, uh, Jonah Nader. It's called How to Lose Friends and Infuriate People. Oh, that sounds (laughs) such a good book. Uh, Jonah has a, has a series of them and he's quite the, he loves, one of his favorite things to do is to stir the pot. Uh, he always has a different perspective. Um, I, I also coach, mentor, facilitate groups. Um, and it's always good to keep that uh, science side on the, on, uh, just 
keeping up to date with that. I'm, I'm reading Mind Lines by Michael Hall. And then, of course, the spiritual side, I'm reading the Seth material uh, from metaphysical teacher Jane Roberts. And do you listen? Are you listening to any, any podcasts or audiobooks or anything like that? I do. I'm currently listening to um, a few things on the go as well. The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein. It's simple. I've listened to it a few times now. The Way of the Shaman. What was the other one? The Tools of the Titan. Pauline, I'd love to ask you, who are you and what do you do? And you can answer that in however which way you like. That's a good question. I'm reminded of some of my mentors saying, just do the one thing, Pauline, do the one thing. And it's like, but that's impossible. (laughs) I'm not going to do one thing. I can be freaking amazing at many things. <laughs> um, I What do I do? I do a number of things, but they're all a part of a bigger ecosystem. So um, I'm a spiritual entrepreneur. Um, I've authored a couple of books that have done very well. I'm an international speaker. I coach, I facilitate, I mentor. I have a restaurant called The Red Lantern. I'm a mother of two. Mia is 15, Jethro is 11. And also it has to be said, you've had over a million customers eat at your at your restaurant too. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Yeah, we've been around for a long time. This is 20 years where we're heading into 20 years now. (laughs) So, so cool. And you've seen it through a lot of of interesting times. So I can't wait to chat about that. I wanted to start out with your childhood. What a childhood. You were born in Vietnam, I believe that's right. And you fled with your family by boat and ended up in Thailand and lived there in a refugee camp for a year, which is where your brother was born. And then you moved as a family to Australia. And you're, you've had a pretty challenging uh, relationship with your father, yeah. oh, which you wrote about so, so incredibly. And you ended up leaving home, running away, leaving a note and putting yourself through university which is just incredible. I wanted to ask you about having been through such trauma, um, such challenges, what has that, I guess, taught you? What are some of the lessons that you took out of that? Emily, so many lessons, so many lessons. Uh, One of the things that comes to mind is that uh, I had a choice, right? We all have a choice. Uh, We have a choice to be the victim of those circumstances. My choice was to become the beneficiary of all of those things. Yeah, they happened to me. They also happened for me. They now happen through me and from me. And so I started working um, when I was seven years old, full time in the family business. My father was quite the uh, entrepreneur. We started, um, he started the business with a video library. The blockbuster releases at the time were Full Metal Jacket, Born on the 4th of July, Platoon, you know, it was like all these Vietnamese war movies. And then uh, we moved the video library upstairs and then he got obsessed with ice cream. He went to a food convention and was just fell in love with Mr. Kapagani of Kapagani ice cream fame. And he's like, I'm going to make fresh fruit ice cream. You see, Cabramatta Commercial District was quite new at the time. And so um, no one was doing really good ice cream. It was always the crappy stuff. And so we were taught how to make like delicious um, fresh food fruit ice cream. We had legit um, Kapagani churning machines and pasteurizers and the kids were, were my, my brother Lewis started working when he was six and Luke started working when he was three or four. And then he opened the restaurant and we had a whole lot of Vietnamese food. He also opened Cabramatta's first uh, cafe. We were Cabramatta's very first baristas. That was ice cream parlor at the front 
Inside was the restaurant. Upstairs was the video library. And he also had a driving school on the side, right? And so we grew up in this like family business that had all these different facets. And growing up, it was very violent. My father suffered terribly from PTSD, from, from uh, his experiences with his own domestic abuse from his parents, and then uh, the violence from the war, and then the pressures of coming to um, a new country after having left a refugee camp and being nine days out at sea. And my mother had tuberculosis uh, at the time when we came to Australia. I was three. My brother, Lewis, was two and Luke was a fresh born baby. So it was a lot of pressure and he had nowhere to dump his anger. So he dumped it on my mom and then us kids. So growing up, there was a lot of violence. But if there was one thing it taught us was to have this great sense of calm courage because we were uh, muted a lot at school uh, or muted a lot at home. And it was just that facing every day. I wonder what today is going to bring, you know, but we still got to work and get good grades. It taught us this sense of resonating resilience. What I mean by resonating resilience is that it is so part of our being, our way of life, rather than just, you know, this once off, it just becomes us because we had to be that way. And this sense of tacit grit, it needn't be said, it just is, you know, it just is. And um, absolutely this great uh, work ethic, because, you know, if we didn't go to work on time, you know, in the mornings, we'd go to the restaurant and my brothers would set up the tables and chairs outside. I'd be in the kitchen helping my parents. We'd catch the train to school. We'd catch the train back, help clean up after lunch service, catch the bus home, do our homework, do all, all that. I practically raised my brothers on my own while my parents worked and worked and worked. And it also uh, taught us this great sense of mastery. What I mean by that was because, you know, there was particular recipes for the food. There were particular recipes for the ice cream. There were particular techniques on how to get that cappuccino froth just right. But it was constant tweaking, constant tweaking. Even with the ice cream parlor, we had to make waffle cones, you know, the regular cones weren't good enough. And so I, uh, my parents were always, and it's still, it's still today, it's all about how can I be make it just a bit better, that bit better. So there was a, that, that was a big part uh, and especially a big part of what I do now as well. So I look back and uh, to answer your question, Emily, I look back and I see that as my training. You mentioned calm courage. I loved how you explained that in your book, but could you explain to the listeners what that is? It's if we're on the firing line, we're not the lead. The leaders are always being watched right? The leaders are always being watched. It's not that sense of beating your chest and going, that's, that's false excitement. You know, this, but this deeper sense of knowing, knowing that I will come in and I will handle this and I will face my fears. But if I do it with calmness, with less stress, with less fear, this sense of unshakability, that calm courage cannot be accessed when we are doing these, you know, when we're this much energy is being wasted, is being expended, or that sense of, you know, going in with all this fear because that's going to hijack our intelligence. We will become less intelligent. And so when we go in there with this great sense of knowing, this inner courage, but remain calm, composed, collected with dignity, grace, and poise, we tap into a very different reverberating energy 
that is contagious. And this is this is when the calm courage is contagious. And your people are always going to follow that sort of a leader rather than the one that, you know, beats his chest and goes, I'll kill you. <laughs> That's not what it's about in, in entrepreneurship and in life. Huh? Reminds me actually of when I was worked for, for a company and uh, I perhaps didn't always act in the way they thought I should when it came to one of the managers. And I actually said to him one day, you know, being a leader is very different to being a manager. <laughs> and I almost think that's that's what you, you describe now in terms of what it actually means to be a leader. So thank you. Thank you for explaining that. And leaders have to be courageous. You know, what do leaders do? They go first. And oftentimes they have to lead their people into unknown territory. But some of them are too scared to face the unknown. <laughs> and so how can you, you know, we've got to continue to reinvent and, and have that sense of, of courage, but that calm, calmness. You've been through, like we said, pretty interesting times um, having run Red Lantern for so long. And uh, during one of those times when businesses were really, really struggling, it was this 2011, I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember. Instead, you, you started seeing, okay, we're getting pretty quiet now in terms of how many people are coming through the door. You were seeing your your peers in different restaurants really struggling and trying different things. But I loved how you decided, okay, instead of slashing our prices, we're actually going to invest more in the produce that you were going to bring into the restaurant. Oh, yes. That was during the global financial That's crisis. It. That's Emily. what I was trying to think what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We took a massive gamble. But for us, it was during the early years because I just had my first child and we wanted to have another one. And having children was a massive wake up call for us. And my husband, Mark, you know, has a, a stronger moral compass than I do. Trust me. Does he? <laughs> And so you know, he, we always have to do the right thing, do the right thing. And, you know, he's a massive advocate for sustainability and the ethics of what we eat. You know, having children really allowed us to see the world and see how we're doing things from a different perspective. And it became this bigger picture. What kind of a world are we going to leave for them? What kind of an example are we going to leave for them? And so he decided uh, just before the GFC, like everything went crazy, to change Red Lantern's philosophy, business model to a more sustainable one. So we got rid of a whole lot of the systems and installations and, and put in some new, more sustainable, environmentally sustainable, especially with getting rid of a whole lot of suppliers who couldn't tell us the provenance of the produce. And we gained a whole lot of different suppliers who cared as much as we did. Um, we retrained the thinking of our team members. And then the GFC craziness happened and we're Okay. <laughs> you know? um, and a lot of our peers uh, were shutting up shop. You know, the bookings from a, from a restaurant that had a wait list to, it was really tough times, but that's when the training comes in, you know, and it was digging deep and saying, okay, well, it was more a commercial decision as well, Emily, because we were paying more now for sustainable produce and they, it cost a lot of money then, organic and sustainable produce. What's the point of staying in business if we are going to slash our prices? We might as well shut up shop because that would mean we were making a massive loss every single day. And so we decided, well, we have to make some money. Let's increase our prices and have faith that there's a bigger picture. There's always a bigger picture at play. And luckily for us, what happened was we, we, yeah, we did a, we lost a whole lot of customers 
and a whole lot of abuse as well. Those who still believe that Vietnamese food should be cheap and cheerful, you know, you guys are so expensive, but we weren't, we, we sat beautifully in the middle. And what happened was those diners who used to eat in the upper end restaurants because of the state of the economy, they had to take a step or two down as well. And that's where Red Lantern sat. We sat beautifully in the middle. We weren't cheap. We weren't expensive. So what happened was we gained a whole lot of new clientele who appreciated delicious food, but also appreciated that we had a social conscience. We believed in something bigger than ourselves and it paid off. Thank God. Oh, thank goodness. But yeah, I love how you were like, no, instead of slashing prices, we're actually going to put ours up. And you're going to like that, that was, must've been a slightly scary decision and took some courage to do that. But in staying true to your values and you had that belief that, no, this is the right thing to do. And it's going to the people that align with this, we're going to attract new people, which you did. And also retain those customers that really cared about what you have to offer. I wanted to now ask around, we're we're in in another really crazy time with COVID-19. You mean this time? <laughs> I'm talking about this time. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, you you navigated the GFC. What is this time like for you and your business or for your clients? And what's perhaps some wisdom you could share with the listeners? The first piece of wisdom that I could share is that this, I understood this very, very quickly, is that this is a real change in how we do humanness now. This is a a change in the way we do being human, being human becoming. And we cannot afford not to know that. We cannot afford not to know that. This is a very pivotal time. The world has literally stopped for us to reinvent ourselves. The world has literally stopped. We've been doing this COVID thing for a while now. And what I've seen is that crisis doesn't change people. Crisis reveals them. Right? And, and how we do crisis is how we do life. And this is what I've seen time and time again. Uh, so for my personal brand, my speaking, my uh, coaching, my mentoring, when COVID hit, the borders closed, public events was zero. <laughs> this is not fun news for an international speaker. <laughs> right? Speaking income, ground to zero, zero. And COVID meant the shutting down of public dining and public eateries. This is not fun news for a restaurant. <laughs> when I say overnight, I'm literally meaning within a week, within a week, because the first question we asked ourselves is, oh, what has our life already demonstrated? What has our life already demonstrated? And our lives have demonstrated time and time and time again that there is always a way. If you Goya, get off your ass, (laughs) not sit in fetal position and find a way. This is where the calm courage comes in because if we panic, if we stress, there is no way that we can think innovatively. It shuts down 90% of our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual capabilities. So the first thing we had to do, and this is a big part of what it means to be a spiritual entrepreneur, Mark, myself and our teams, as well as my collaborators, whatever it takes to remain in spirit and inspired, in spirit and inspired. And so for my Red Lantern followership, I started creating little uh, mini videos with readings from my book that gave them a new sense of inspiration that everything's going to be fine, guys, if you do the work and get off your bums and play a different game. We gave our Uh, team members at Red Lantern, we had to stand uh, a number down, of course, 
Um, you know, but with the ones that were, uh, we said to our, our restaurant manager, guys, go hell for leather with creating social media content. And if you have a look at our feed during that time, it was so good. It was so crazy, really high quality, um, out of this world, crazy videos, which kept our guests entertained and top of mind. And we had to let go of all ego. You know, the world's most awarded Vietnamese restaurant had to let go of all ego. And we did takeaway and deliveries and whatever it takes to remain in spirit and inspired. And so very, very grateful. You know, people traveled far and wide to to meet Keith, this this mannequin that we put at the front, you know, holding Red Lantern takeaway bags. And we'll make a little short films. And it was it was so much fun. It was fun. Did we make money? No but we're still around. <laughs> we st- yeah, stayed ahead of the game. As for my own personal business, the Pauline Wynn business, I took everything online, keynotes online, had to learn a very new skill, workshops and um, teachings and coachings and facilitations online. I have so much to thank COVID for. I have so much to thank COVID for because now what originally was a face-to-face, now I'm able to share it with lots more people all around Australia and around the world. So we always have to ask ourselves, what are the benefits? What are the benefits? Thank you for sharing that. I said to you just before, I've just finished reading your book. I, I flew through it and I got to the final kind of chapter or two. I'm like, oh, I don't want to finish it. So, um, so then I <laughs> go read it again. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. And I folded down all these different pages. So the book published this last year, The Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur, The Seven Secrets to Becoming Fearless, Stress-Free and Unshakable in Business and in Life. And um, it's won the Best Entrepreneurship and Small Business Book Awards last year. Congratulations. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Incredible. I wanted to ask you a few things um, from this book. I was going to actually ask you to touch on the seven secrets, but I think it wouldn't do it justice to have you um, try and cover all of them. So I might pick out um, a few of the things you asked me just earlier, what resonated with me. One of them was that you wrote about when you're on a mission, you'll be able to work extraordinary hours and not feel like you are working. I wonder um, how you advise your clients or people who really trying to find what their mission is and I know that I was in this spot and I'm and I it was almost kind of like it wasn't a very nice feeling for me and I think I was you know probably not doing it in the best way but I was I was desperately trying to figure out what am I meant to be doing what is my mission but I wonder what your advice is for those who are trying to find that mission is that something people can find or what is your approach to that? Uh, can I answer that in two parts? Absolutely. Uh, because the, the quote that you read out, Emily, that has to do with energy. When you're on a mission, you'll be able to work extraordinary hours. When we tap into spirit, in spirit, inspired, and we do the work, the work being not only the semantic work, the talk therapy work, but we do the somatic work of the body, of the body, being um, where are the traumas held, um, when we do breath work, when we do jigong to uh, unlock particular emotions that are trapped in particular organs, when we do movement therapy, and then, of course, the soulmatic of the spirit, tapping into another energy source. And this is what happens when we combine all three. So that is what happens time and time again for the clients who I assist. And my niche is already established entrepreneurs. 
because they've walked through the discomfort of the fire. They know what it feels like. So I'm a developmental coach in that respect. And so when we can align the semantic as well as the somatic and the soulmatic, we get results very, very fast because most people, a lot of my entrepreneurs, like I've been seeing a psychotherapist for six years. Yes, but that's just talk therapy. Talk therapy alone doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. So to, to answer that first question of yours, and we get to do extraordinary stuff because when we understand what spirituality really is, which has nothing to do with religion, by the way, Religion needs spirituality. Spirituality does not need religion. It has nothing to do with religion. And one thing I realized having coached so many entrepreneurs is that there is a different type of suffering that has been misdiagnosed as psychological suffering and it is spiritual suffering. It's spiritual suffering. And time and time again, when then I can um, open that door for them to uh, discover what spirituality really is, man, they get to tap into this secret source, this abundant energy. And, you know, I had um, a, another client the other day goes, I worked from like 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. and I've still got all this energy pee. I don't know where to put it. I'm like, yeah, let's not go into how you transmute that shit, you know, and it, it just gets so much fun. To answer the other part of your question, I think for many people, they think that finding your mission or finding your purpose is a race. It is not a race. It's not a race, but we do have stuff that we are meant to do on this earth. And that's the process of uh, uh, uncovering, of discovering. And so one of the things I always say is you got to start doing interesting things, though. <laughs> you got to start doing stuff. You know, this Goya thing, get off your ass and do stuff. You cannot become an interesting person unless you do interesting things with interesting stories to tell. What happens then? This is when we follow this unspoken law of attraction to become attractive, right? You're not going to attract the people you need in your orbit to help you get to where you want to go faster if you are a boring person. You are not going to experiment with different things in order to find your mission, to find your purpose, if you don't go out there and do interesting things, right? And so uh, another question is, if you've grown up in whatever scenario, whatever environment that has been passed down to you, you start reinventing. You know, start, start living your life by design and not by default. You can't be saying, this is my lot. You know, I don't think entrepreneurs do that anyway, right? But it's the, okay, how, how else can I up-level? How else, what other piece of mastery? And, you know, someone asked me the other day, what's your definition of success? My definition of success is, do I live my life in a state of awe and wonder and inner peace and outer abundance? You know, that's true success. And for us serial entrepreneurs, it's that sense of, what's next? What's next? I've already nailed that one. What's next? We owe it to life. We owe it to life, to service life and not wait for life to service us. You know, if we're not servicing life, how, how can we possibly be anywhere closer to our mission or our purpose? And one of the greatest questions to ask is, well, hey, what does my life already demonstrate? What does it already demonstrate? Does it demonstrate that I'm good at painting? Does it already demonstrate that I'm a poet? Does it already demonstrate that I love teaching? First of all, ask what does your life already demonstrate? What makes your heart sing? What, what is it that you just can't wait to get out of bed and do? Uh, which is 
a little bit challenging. You know, the one of the biggest secrets to getting into the flow state is if things come too easily for you, you don't get into the really, uh, authentic flow state. Those who get into really like flow state where time stops and everything stands still and they don't know where they are and they just get it done is if there's always that tension of ease and difficulty, of uh, easiness and challenge, and they're always working their brain. But it can't be too hard because then they won't be in flow, but it can't be too easy. Otherwise, they're not achieving. Um, another great question is to ask your friends and family, hey, what do you think I'm good at? What, ha what, what have you seen that I can't see? You know, these are great things, but you've got to be, be doing interesting things. That's so true. That's so true. And that's kind of the conclusion that I realized. I'm like, hang on, well, I just got to keep trying things. I got, just got to keep trying things and see what resonates, see what I really enjoy. And um, that, that's kind of the way to find it. In your book as well, you spoke about the notion of positive thinking versus optimism. And that was, I had never heard of it described like that. Could you please share kind of what, what that all means and why they're not the same thing? I've done a lot of work to tune into my physical body, which is my instrument of consciousness. And so when I hear something like a phrase or something that's been, you know, thrown around the mainstream and it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense to me I tune in and I go what is it what is it Pauline what is it what's that nagging doubt what's that pre-annoyance and I go dive a bit deeper it's like I have a very different viewpoint on vulnerability <laughs> you know I have a very different viewpoint on empathy because so many things don't make sense but in this particular instance it was positive thinking we're not meant to be happy 24 7 actually positive thinking does not work. One of my teachers, Dr. Martini, he actually did, I think it was for a whole year that he tried to test, put this positive thinking to the test <laughs> and he's written journals about it. And it, it you know, it's, it's impossible. We're meant to experience the full gamut of emotions. There's so much to be learned from melancholy and anxiety and stress. There's so much to be learned, but how long we stay in the emotion is what's going to define us, right? So this is when the, the, the tools come out, the semantic, somatic, somatic tools out to come out to get us out of that state. Otherwise we end up being hijacked to the point where that becomes our identity. But Positive thinking, one, is impossible to have constantly and especially during a time of crisis, it doesn't work. Here is the distinction. In the face of any adversity, the science has shown that optimism over positive thinking will work every time. Why? Because the optimism optimistic brain is far more capable of shifting us forward than a brain that's, you know, I've got to stay positive. Why? Because the opposite of positive is fear and blame and excuses. And so positive thinking is, oh, I'm thinking fear. Okay. What's the band-aid solution? Let's put, let's put uh, something else on that. And it's uh, to avoid the uncomfortable reality of a current situation. That's what positive thinking is. And so a positive thinker tries to shine a positive light on a negative situation. That doesn't work. And also it's, you know, I think the happiness industry has a lot to answer for. It's, we're not meant to be happy 24-7. And so the brain science behind optimism proves it far more successful. Why? Because the optimistic brain embraces the reality of the current situation. It says, okay. COVID has disabled us and disabled so many, but I choose to not put a band over it. I'm now going to have a look at this situation from a higher level of mind and search for a better perspective. 
and I'll use everything in my power to remain intelligent. And so when we have a look at it from a higher level of mind, this requires our brain to come up with better solutions, solutions, creativity, collaboration, innovation, imagination, rather than putting a band-aid emotion over it. And the optimist always sees the big picture and holds the strong belief and the strong faith that things may not be amazing now, but they will be amazing because I'm looking at it from a higher level of mind and I will find the solutions because the vibration that we have to maintain in order to find the solution is very different to the vibration of the actual problem itself and putting a band-aid. It's a different energy, different energy source. And so the spiritual entrepreneur possesses this emotional mastery, allows themselves to sit in the darkness only for a short period of time to say, okay, now I've learned the lesson because we know that without the dark, the light wouldn't exist. But because we're looking at it from a higher level of mind, an optimistic level of mind, we understand that then it's not about the pursuit of happiness, but finding happiness in the pursuit. It's a much more powerful, uh, power as in full of power, powerful uh, state of thinking than positive thinking. Absolutely. And I, um, the way I see entrepreneurship, I, I kind of describe it. It's like a puzzle. And I just love playing that puzzle and trying different things. And it's like a game and it's just so enjoyable. And that's a big realization I've had that it's not about the end goal. It's about like being in it. And this is it. This is it. The journey is it. And I think that's what you what you kind of explain so well as well. And it's kind of the finding the joy in navigating it. Yes. And always from uh, a point of view of uh, not going, you know, I'm going to shut up the reality. This is not happening. This is not happening. That's what positive thinking is. No, this is real. This is happening. I will see you on the other side because I may not be a master of it now. I may be an amateur about it now, but my life has already demonstrated that I'm not going to be an amateur with this for too long. I will see you on the other side. Does that play into um, the way you perceive manifestation as well? There's been some interesting discussions that I've seen around manifestation and around the idea that, oh, well, some people have said, you know, that's white privilege to be able to manifest what you want when you're not dealing with all these different challenges. How do you see manifestation? And I guess, what have you learned from what you've manifested in your own life? Well, the people who say that manifestation is a white privilege, the fact that they've said that in and of itself will will not allow them because they are not high vibration words, right? If, if everything we do, everything we speak, our thoughts and everything around us is all uh, vibration and frequency uh, and they don't have that fundamental understanding of that, and I don't know these people, but from what you just said, if their first thought is that manifestation is only for white privilege, then they've already cut off so many of their chances, so many of their chances. If you have an open mind, if you understand that manifestation also takes work. One of the first laws of manifestation is the law of attraction, okay? And what that also means is become attractive. Become attractive by saying manifestation is only for white privilege. That is not an attractive thing to say, 
right? You're not going to attract more of the people into your orbit who will get you to where you want to go faster, right? That is also a low vibration comment, which what, what, what then are you going to attract? What kind of people are you going to attract? You are therefore going to attract more people who think like that. And the more people who think like that are not going to help you to get you where you want to go faster, right? So be attractive to what? Be attractive to who? There's so many processes to becoming a badass manifester. And it's not about sitting at the bottom of a mountain in monk's robes, eating lentils, chanting Om Shanti's and thinking, I will just sit here and things will happen. That is not what manifestation is. Manifestation is how do I become attractive in order to attract the people into my orbit who will get me to where I want to go faster. But the other question is, who do I need to become in order to attract the people into my orbit to help me to get me to where I want to go faster? That involves a lot of work. That involves a lot of work, a lot of internal work. How are you accessing your instrument of consciousness? How are you aligning your energy centers? How much power are you filling yourself up with every day? And you know, this, this is a whole course that I teach. And so for those who think it is just, I'm just going to sit here and hope that things come to me, they've got a very warped definition of what manifestation is. You speak about abundance and how you can be spiritual and abundant. And I think that gives a lot of permission for people and kind of challenges perhaps a notion as well, an old notion of spirituality and it means to not need or desire money, I believe. Yeah, could you could you touch on that? Sure, which is why it's called the spiritual entrepreneur <laughs> and, and not, you know, the spiritual monk. <laughs> yes. um, and so it's understanding what spirituality means. Spirituality means um, to live your life in spirit and inspired. Some of the most successful people I know live their lives in spirit and inspired. That takes work. What do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel every day? Because we don't become masters of feeling good, we become good at feeling. Oh, what is that? Oh, that is anticipation. Okay, anticipation of what? Is that a false excitement or is that a knowing enthusiasm? Okay, what does that all mean? And and this is, it's absolutely tuning in. And to um, clarify on the your point before, Emily, I know a lot of very wealthy people with a lot of money, a lot of status, but are absolutely spiritually bankrupt. I know a whole lot of spiritual woo-woo people who have no money in the bank. And so um, my book very much demystifies and gives a different perspective. I'm, I'm a heretic. It's, I've been a heretic many lifetimes. It's, hey, there's new ways of doing things. There's new ways of seeing things. And now there's new reasons for doing and seeing things differently. You know, And so it's that understanding that we can have one foot in the entrepreneurial world and one foot to be tapped into our spirit, our truth, to be constantly in spirit and inspired and understanding that as a spiritual entrepreneur, one of the things that we, it's part of our DNA is what can I do to push forward humanity? You know, if what you're doing is not assisting humanity in some way, shape or form, you're not servicing life. You're waiting for life to service you, you know? And so we understand then also that in order to do that, we need money. How, how can, how can you pay the people who need to get paid? 
paid <laughs> to help you achieve your goals. You need money. M- money is an energy source. Um, there are particular rules about money as well. Money needs structure. Money needs to constantly be evolving and growing. It needs to be shared. It can't be hoarded. And it life gets so much fun because when we understand these these I call them um, universal laws, you know, or or the universal credits in in the in the quantum field. When we can play that game, every day is fun. Because things come to us effortlessly. That doesn't mean without effort. That means with less effort. Because we are attracting the people, the resources, the knowledge, the collaborators that we need in order to get us to where they want to go. We want to go faster. And also, you know, we're playful and we're fun (laughs) and we're perpetually silly. Who doesn't want to be around that? Yeah, and I love how you describe that work can be fun and juicy. And I think it's some people, and you, and that's what you experienced. I think when you were growing up, that work had to be so, so hard. There was no joy. My parents didn't know what joy was. They never practiced it. And my question now to a lot of people is, oh, you want to experience joy? What are you doing? What What are you doing every day to find joy? What What are you doing? Oh, nothing. Oh, so you're just sitting at home in your misery. Okay, because then misery also loves company. And you're going to call your friends and tell them how joyless your fam- your, your um, life is and then you trauma bond and all start talking about how miserable you are, you know. And it's like you got to actually go out and do things that are joyful. Like nature, nature's medicine, nature is our God, the grand organized design. That's what nature's looked after us for how long. Do you know how much joy there is, like scientifically proven as well, that can be found in nature? Oh, I'm looking for a man. Okay, what what are you doing to look for that man? <laughs> He's not going to, joy's not going to come and knock on your door. You know, we got to do stuff. we got to do stuff to find it. I love it. And wh- why you say get off your ass and do something. <laughs> uh, what would it look like, Pauline, if, all entrepreneurs became, I guess, to take on those truths that you write about. What would that look like? What would, how different would the world look if entrepreneurs did embody that spirituality that you write about? What would it look like? So one of my clients, very, very well-to-do businessman, has multiple restaurants, fingers in a lot of property projects. He also has a um, safari tour business in Kenya. And he read my book when he was in Kenya on safari and he uh, emailed me at the time and said I'd love to come to Australia and and meet up with you I've read your book and and you're going to be my next coach I'm like okay dude I'm I'm speaking in Bogota I'll I'll be back in uh, a few weeks catch up then and the very first session I said we're going to meet at sunrise I coach at sunrise there are particular scientific reasons for that and bring your swimmers because we will jump in the ocean afterwards and he was like are you on crack like are you on crack (laughs) (laughs) and look his story is that he had seen a psychotherapist for five or six years and it wasn't working for him, suffered a lot from anxiety, overwhelm, overworked, all those things that a lot of entrepreneurs who did things the old way experience. Not only was he diseased, he also had disease. In the first session, I showed him a particular breath sequence that was prescribed especially for him from what he needed. And he was under, he had been under a lot of trauma as well. And he goes, I can't do the breath, I can't do the breath. And I said, I just want you to take a snapshot of what this moment is. You thinking that I'm on crack, you not being able to do the breath work, but the courage that you have to be here anyway. 
There's one I want you to take a snapshot of because in no time at all, all this anxiety, all this overwhelm, all this dis-ease will become irrelevant because your new mission will be, and you will call me and you will say, Pauline, what else can I manifest? Oh my God, I don't know what else I can manifest. You know, It will be a completely different conversation. And so I think into the second or third, second, se- third, second or third session, he uh, emailed me and he said, feeling good is my new norm. Feeling good is my new norm. And now he is in COVID times. He has made more profit in the three months than he would do in a year. So it's a very different conversation now. You know, he emailed me two weeks ago and said, I went on vacation to the Kangaroo Valley with my daughter and my wife. I was feeling a little bit depleted in energy and I remembered your teachings and I heard your voice saying, transmute this, take the energy from the mountains and we, he, we, there's a process for this. And he said, I, I got surged with the energy again and I'm creating again and I just want you to let you know, uh, this is what's possible. <laughs> this is what's possible. And for a lot of the clients that come to me, they're in pain like in physical, emotional pain because they have done things the old way for so long. And uh, another one of my clients had 10 years of severe, severe rheumatoid arthritis. Um, We were able to eradicate that in a matter of months, a matter of months. And there's like consistent stories like that because it's not just talk therapy. We're combining all three of the semantic as well as the body, the somatic, but then we access a completely different realm of energy and solutions and creations. But I think overall, Emily, what an entrepreneur, um, if they do the work, you got to do the work. If you don't do the work, you don't get the pay. And the work is beautiful. It's beautiful work. What they will find is a life of joy a life of playfulness, a life where everything is less effort, effortless. You know, another one of my clients is like, I'm giggling all the time, P. I'm just so happy all the time. And every, I'm just cheeky all the time. It's like, that is your birthright. That is your birthright. Come on. <laughs> I love to um, finish up by asking, and I feel as though this is, you've just shared so much already, but I do like to finish up by asking if there's something that you wish you'd known back when you first started your own entrepreneurial journey, which started a lot younger than a lot of people, I think, when you're about seven years old and and working away. But perhaps is there something you wish you'd you'd already knew at that point? I'll tell you when I was seven and then perhaps as as an adult. When I was seven, I I would have wanted to say to my seven-year-old self, baby girl, don't cry so much. Life is going to be magical. Life is going to be magical. Don't cry so much. And to my early entrepreneur self, I would say, Pauline, never doubt your capabilities. Never doubt your capabilities and never doubt the generosity of your spirit. Well, you're making me cry now. (laughs) Those were good questions, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pauline, for sharing so, so openly. (laughs) Um, Wow. I just, ah. You're just incredible. And everyone, um, go and buy your book. It's your second book now. Your first was, I haven't read that one. So could you share the name? Secrets of the Red Lantern, a very dark and personal memoir, which I disguise as a cookbook so people would buy it. (laughs) It worked a treat. I won debut writer of the year. It became an international bestseller. (laughs) Changed my life. Pauline, where can we go to find you? What's the best place for people to get in touch? 
paulinewen.com.au. Fabulous. And it'll be in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Pauline, for chatting with me and giving up some of your time and um, being just, oh, wow, what an incredible person. And so, so much to share with us. So thank you. Emily, it was my joy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Emily Osmond Show, brought to you by my Instagram freebies, which you'll find at emilyosmond.com forward slash free. So please take a few seconds to leave me a review, subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, and be sure to take a screenshot of this podcast, upload it to your social media, and tag me at Emily Osmond so I can give you a shout out too. Until next time, remember connection over perfection. You've got this and we'll speak soon.